He's got a beautiful backswing. That's, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the 73rd Hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Colby Powell, Taylor Williams, Sam Humphreys will be joining us shortly here on the 73rd Hole. Everybody head over to GolfOklahoma.org. GolfOklahoma.org are great partners getting you ready for golf this spring in the state of Oklahoma. Great golf being played in this state, whether that is at the collegiate level, the high school level, or... At the professional level in the month of May as the PGA Championship makes its way to Southern Hills. Speaking of some great college golf, uh, Taylor, we talked on Monday about Eugenio Chikara and what he did for Oklahoma State in Hawaii over the weekend. A final round, 10 under, 62, to shoot 19 under for the event and win the tournament. And three days later, what happens? Carolina Chikara. Eugenio Chikara's sister, who plays for Wake Forest, fires a 10-under final round 62. She shoots 19 under par and wins the UCF Challenge. That's a crazy story. Brother-sister, merely a few days apart, final round 10-under 62s to both shoot 19-under for the event and both win the event. I'd say there's some pretty good genetics in the Chikara family. I mean, there, there's literally no doubt about that. I mean, look at it. She's only a freshman, Kobe. I mean, it's not like she's a, a fifth-year senior or whatever getting out there shooting 62. I mean, you're freshman. So, I mean, a lot of times whenever you play college golf, you play a lot of the same courses every year, so you get used to them. So, there's no there's no bit of that going on. So, what would you say she shot for the tournament? 19 under? 19 under for the tournament. Same, and, as, same as her brother. Did it say how I many she won by? Uh, yes, yeah, uh, she, she won by four. She four. won by four. Wow. Eugenio, Eugenio won by two. She won by four. Wow, I mean, how about that? So, I mean, that's pretty good low scores out there on women's side. And, I mean, Wake Forest, I'm not familiar necessarily with their women's program. I know their men's program is one of the top ten programs in the country. So, I mean, whenever you got two siblings and they go to OSU and Wake Forest, you know, something's going right there in the uh, in that in that equation. So, you know, one thing, that I brought this up with you, Colby, and I'm getting off track here. I just wanted you to kind of uh, we talk about it while, we're, uh, while we had it going on. The picture that they have of, of the women on the Wake Forest team, they're essentially all wearing T-shirts. And I, I showed you the picture, and I said, if any man wore this to a club where you needed to have a, a collar or better, they would not let you wear it. And so my question was, why do women get to wear T-shirts and less attire when they play than men? And I think you had a pretty good answer, Cole. My theory was, forever, men have made the rules as to what is allowed to be worn at the golf course, and very traditional on the men's side, because remember, they started out playing in suits, and then now we've worked our way away from ties and bow ties and the, you know, the little Bryson hats to <laughs> what, is, what is better attire for men. I mean, it's now a polo and shorts at your club, pants on the tour, but, I mean, outfits have just never been strict, as strict for women because men always made the rules. Women came into the game later. Their attire and their dress code was determined by men who were not necessarily as concerned with them um, wearing their Sunday best at the golf course. And I thought it was a really good way to put it. And I will say this, you know, golf attire has lightened up. You have, you've had joggers out there now. You have the Nike shirts that have the two buttons. Eric Van Royen? You have the Eric Van Royen yep, look. I mean, yep. you've got you got Air Jordans out there. I mean, the, you got, uh, When you say the Nike shirt, are you talking about like the Tiger? Yeah. N- not like a mock turtleneck, but the the one that has just like a... 
I mean, essentially, it's fairly close to a t-shirt kind of collar. It's, it's on like it. in between a mock and a t-shirt. Essentially, it's like just enough collar to like make yeah. it to where you can't complain. And so it's like I definitely see that that golf attire is leaning towards the more casual side, which is good. It was just something I noticed, and I was like, man, I would like to be. Able, I would have been able like to wear that shirt whenever I played tournaments. So, and I mean, I might have been able to save you know at least two, one or two strokes over the course of three years that I played. Do you have any of those like small collar shirts? Because I, I, th- I think I have two of them, yeah. I think I have two of them. And I got to say, I'm pro small collars on the shirts. I am too. They're comfortable. I mean, they're they're lighter. You know, one thing that I had to deal with back in the day when you wear the mock, you got to deal with the uh, the tan line. The tan line of the mock during the summer. I, ne- I never had a problem with that. It's a burn line. It's a bur- It burns. You put aloe on it. It turns back white. Speaking of sunburns, Taylor, let's talk about our man Morgan Hoffman. So Morgan Hoffman, at one time, number one amateur in the world, player at Oklahoma State, and he was on those, I mean, he was on really good Oklahoma State teams. Uh, Peter Uline, Morgan Hoffman, Kevin Tway. I think he was on, I think he had some overlap with Ricky Fowler as well. Whenever Gooch was there, Gooch was on that 2011 team. They had some pretty star-studded teams back in the day. Morgan Hoffman was 120 swing speeds before everybody was 120 swing speeds, all that good stuff. And looking at this story on Golf Digest that dropped yesterday, Daniel Rappaport wrote this story. And it's phenomenal. It's called Morgan Hoffman left the PGA Tour in search of a cure. He found so much more. He was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy, which I didn't realize. You know, you knew he had an injury. You knew he was dealing with some stuff. I didn't realize he was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy. And he has moved to Costa Rica. I mean, one of the earliest lines of this story, he now stands proudly inside a sprawling mountaintop house with no doors or windows in the jungle of Costa Rica. His curly golden locks cascading to his shoulders, barefoot, feeding fresh ground peanut butter to three dogs and two cats. It's Monday, but it could be Saturday for the same price. Taylor, he moved to Costa Rica. He lives a natural wellness, holistic life, and his body has started to heal himself. He's got a few medical starts. He's going to try to, you know, fly back over and see what he can do in his few starts. It's, I mean, the odds are long for him to make it back on the tour, but just the story of his life is fascinating. I mean, Kobe, I, I had not, I had not known about this article. I'm really glad you pointed it out to me. And I, I tell you what, this is on. Uh, I believe you said it already. It's on GolfDigest.com. Anyone can check it out. Make sure to do. And I mean, it, it's a long read here, so I've only been able to get through the first probably third of it or so. But you know, I remember watching him at uh, at that 2011 Nationals, Colby, when we were up there at Karsten, and I, I, I he was by far one of the best players I saw up there, and that includes uh, Bud Colley, uh, Peter Uline, and Patrick Cantley were all in that final group. And I remember Morgan Hoffman sticking out to me being. Really impressive, and I also remember growing up, he was, I believe he was from the New Jersey area growing up, and he was the number one junior in the world. Like, it was like him before Spieth, essentially. He was kind of Spieth before. He was big time. Oh, he was elite, and OSU knew he was getting him for a long time, so I mean, it was just another great get on that end. But in my opinion, Colby, I think it's it's so, so awesome to know that someone can go through something this harsh and be able to come back from it. And it's... It doesn't matter what you have to do to do it. As long as you're able to get your life right and make sure your family's life right, I, you need to do it. And what were you saying, Colby? Like, he, he ate grapes for, like, 20 days or something like that. He only drank his urine. <laughs> he So, 
He wanted to try a grape cleanse because he's looking at non-Western medicine ways to heal his body. He wanted to try a grape cleanse because he'd heard about people having success with grape cleanse. He ate only grapes for 17 straight days, about 800 grapes a day. This was before he moved to Costa Rica. This when he was still living in Jupiter. He said we'd go to the Whole Foods in Jupiter every morning and they'd be like, there's the grape guy because he's coming in to get 800 grapes. He'd clear out the whole grape section so nobody else at that Whole Foods would get grapes for the day because he'd clear out the whole section. Uh, and then, yeah, he said he did like a, a cleanse where for two weeks all he did was drink a cup of his urine in the morning and at night. And it's, I mean, it's a different life. It's a holistic wellness healing type life. And it's, it's, you hear stories about this happening, but do you, has any other athlete done something like this that I, I can't think of any off the top of my head? I've done something this extreme. The only one I can maybe think of, but it, it wasn't for these reasons. It was, it was different is Ricky Williams. I mean, you know, yes. Ricky Williams went and lived like a, a a holistic life and still very much does live a holistic life, but it still wasn't quite the same as this. But that's the only like even kind of remote parallel I could find. And and Ricky Williams, he wasn't well, he didn't have a serious disease, did he? Correct. No, no, no. It wasn't. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know what he was going through mentally and emotionally at that time. Obviously, there was a lot going on in his life. But no, it wasn't like this with muscular dystrophy, but a fascinating story and I mean, I'll be rooting like crazy for Morgan Hoffman whenever he makes it I back. Mean, and, and you might have touched on this, Colby, but just make sure I'm clear. So did the doctors in the United States recommend him to do this, or did they just say, hey, you know, we don't know what to do, and he, he did this on his own? Uh, no, no, no. They, they said we don't know what to do, and he started looking into other ways to potentially heal himself. Because basically they told him he was out of luck because of this disease, and he said, I don't accept that. And so it was basically said you're at the end of the line. You don't have anything else to do. And so he did it mention anything about did he try anything else before this and had any oh. or was this like the like obviously he didn't say the next day oh hey I'm going to go move to was it Columbia right no uh, Costa, Rica. Costa Rica no it wasn't that fast because like I said the grape cleanse and everything happened in Florida he tried some other things he and his wife actually went on like a wellness retreat to this area of Costa Rica and then they decided that they loved it and wanted to just move down there totally ingratiate themselves in it uh, and it makes sense and so uh, the most important thing from here is that he's starting to get healthier and I mean that is the fact that he went from having a muscular dystrophy that that's the right word yes, and then yes. um uh, then being able to even use his medical exemptions that he has on the tour is a straight blessing like you mentioned uh Colby driving 90 miles to go play the little local muni that's down there it's a dump and no one knows who he is he's just walking around there with his one thing that I was really like about the article so far is just the pictures and I love the hair you know me Colby I'm, I'm a big long hair don't care kind of guy so i love this morgan hoffman look can i get the man bun in some pictures too i mean it's hard to beat that look colby i really got the golden locks he's uh i think in this in this story he's referred to as effortlessly handsome i think that's pretty spot on based on what we're seeing here so i mean we might need to get a side by side here going but i mean he he looks like our man sunshine from remember the titans he does look like sunshine from remember the titans a little you're more, little more right. curly than than sunshine but uh, still along the same lines you're absolutely right so uh all right before we get to break let's talk about uh, phil and brandle phil mickelson brandle oh, chambly because phil mickelson came out last week he called out the tours obnoxious greed he talked about media rights being given to players talked about a lot of stuff there's rumors that phil is going to be tied with the saudis and is going to be a part of that tour and that super league that they're putting together so brandle chambly uh this was in a 
Okay, yes, this was not on TV. This was on the Golf Channel website. Uh, Chambly went after Phil pretty good. He called Phil a highly paid ventriloquist puppet involved in a sports washing operation for a murderous regime guilty of human rights atrocities. Uh, he went on to say when it comes to competing in professional events, Mickelson doesn't and has never owned his media rights, so there is nothing to hand back. That's in reference to Phil's comments. They should hand back the media rights to the players. He says no sports league, not the NFL, MLB, NBA, the PGA Tour, nor any other league would allow their athletes to own media rights. The profits derived from aggregating those rights fees provides infrastructure, pays league employees, and helps pay the salaries of the athletes themselves to say nothing of protecting the investments of the networks. Could you imagine being a network that had paid hundreds of millions or billions of dollars for broadcast rights only to have to compete with a Tom Brady, Mike Trout, LeBron James, or a Tiger Woods channel where they ran their highlights on a loop? The networks would cease paying the exorbitant broadcast rights fees if such content was omnipresent, which means the leagues themselves in their current form would cease to exist. So, Taylor, we talked about this a little bit last night, but we didn't totally dive into it. So, just give us your overview, your thoughts on Brandel's response to Phil calling out the tour um, and potentially trying to position himself with the Saudis. I think it's when you accumulate everything that you just quoted there, Colby, I think it's one of the dumbest things I've ever read in my entire life. And I'll break it down here one by one here. So I, I, I'm going to get into the Phil getting called a puppet thing. It's one of the most egregious things I've ever heard. But And, and I'm going to say this for about 60 seconds, and I'm never going to mention it again unless someone tries to be an idiot. The, there is a PGA Tour of China. If there is one person who tries to advocate for human rights atrocities that shouldn't happen, for the PJ Tour and saying that, oh, we're just high in glory here. We're the moral human rights activists over here. No, you either say we don't have a PJ Tour China and you need to not play in Saudi. You cannot do one or the other. It's, it, Colby, it's basically like if you say Adolf Hitler's the worst person ever and you have a Joseph Stalin tour. L- let me ask you this. Does the money, and I don't know the answer to this question, does the money for PGA Tour China, does that money come from the Chinese government? Because I, I think I think that that I, would be a, a key I, distinction. I, I, I if, would I would say on that end, the PJ Tour China makes money. So then, in that aspect, the revenue that comes from that would essentially help China. I, I but I, I just want to make the distinction for the financial backing because the the idea is that this PGL or not PGL, whatever they're calling, it, I don't even know what they're calling it. This Saudi back tour is actually being funded by the Saudi government, which I think. I think is a key distinction. Okay, so so add this up then. So if PJ Tour China is making revenue for the Chinese government, right, that would eventually mean that down the line, revenue that's made in China would be given to the players there. Oh, I'm not defending the PJ Tour China. I'm just trying to I'm just trying to make distinctions on how there may be differences between China and what's happening with the there, Saudis. There's not enough distinctions there to be partnered with one of them and say the other one's atrocity. That's that's my point. Okay, I, I mean, and that's fine. I'm just, but back to Brandel's comments. Hey, okay, so so that's that's my point right there. Anyone who says that you shouldn't go there because of human activists, you need to come out and say the exact same time to get rid of PJ Church China. I will not accept anything really else than that. So here, here's here's something too, Colby. I'm going to talk about this whole puppet thing. Do you know what the difference in the PGA Championship viewer was from 2021 to 2020? Uh, pretty significant. Pretty significant. The the, the in 2021, the viewership peaked at 13 million. And, and for anyone who's listening, doesn't know, 2021's when Phil won at Kiowa. 2020's where Morikawa won at Harding Park. 2021, the viewership topped out at 13 million. The average viewer was like 6.5. In 2020, 
and and I want to point this out too. Twenty twenty had a lot more things going for it. It was on the West Coast in better primetime hour, and it was also the first major in fourteen months. So literally everyone else is going to watch that. The average was five point million, and it topped out at six point nine million. Literally, Phil Mickelson winning the tournament doubled the max viewers. That was a huge draw. You cannot call Phil a puppet when he is the needle mover. Colby, do you remember back when uh, Lincoln Riley left OU, Bob Stoops went on the podium and said that there is no player bigger than the University of Oklahoma? I do remember that. That was very recent. That is not the same for the PGA Tour. The PGA Tour is built on players. Tiger, Phil are the main needle movers. And there's no doubt about that. And you're looking at now, the next generation, you got your Spieth. Um, if Rory can come back, you got him. you got Hovland, who I think could be a big part of that. Matthew Wolf, these Morikawa, these young guys. But to call Phil, who has made the PGA Tour million, and I'm, millions, maybe billions of dollars over the years, to call him a puppet is just a straight slap in the face. All right, I, well, I, I want to get down to the, the rights, the media rights. Yes, and because, so— Because Brandel's correct. As far as I know, there is no sports league in the world, team or individual sports— that the players own the media rights, and I don't see I don't see that part happening anymore. No, see, that. this is, I mean, you want to talk about ultimate Pandora's box, Colby. I mean, so and there's so many legal things that get into this because I remember I was reading I was reading this article about what because that's one of the main thing that this this argument got brought up with Phil because he brought up that the players don't own their media rights and he even mentioned in there and I, it's just hard for me to believe this said that he had to pay the tour a million dollars each match that he played the match you know he's played in like four of them had to pay the tour a million dollars for that why why I mean I mean legit question Colby why would he I, have to do that I have no idea that, I that, have no idea that makes no sense so I will say this I don't if anything Brandon Shambly besides the fact that Saudi is against human rights act I mean there's no doubt about that but going back to the the media rights thing. Shambly is right. The players never had their media rights, so you can't hand them back. But I think that there is a way that you could make it to where it's like 50-50, right? Where it's because because my point here is the things that he brings up here, the NFL, MLB, NBA, they are all team sports. They they do the exact thing that the Saudi tur- that they don't want the Saudi tour to do. They give guaranteed money. That that that's literally app- an apples to oranges conversation. You know, here's some questions, Colby. Do in, do NFL, MLB, or NBA players have to pay for their travel to games? Uh, no, no. Do they have to pay when they stay there? No. Do PJ Tour players have to do that? Yes. I was reading up on this, too. A lot of people don't know this. For NFL teams, each player gets $122 um, per diem. Is that the term? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. $122 a day per diem for if they want to eat out anywhere they want. Do PJ Tour players get that? No. It's, well, as far as I know, I, they, they get they essentially get food at the course. Okay, so, and, okay. and it's the same for the for NFL. It's where if you don't like what we're serving, you can go eat something else or whatever. And it's just I, I look at this and I say there is such a big difference between the these team leagues and the other than the PJ Tour. And I think the biggest way you could change that, and I'm really surprised it hasn't happened yet. PJ Tour's got to get some sort of union going, players' union. 
I think that's really the only way to sort of mediate this kind of right, right. Between. And it'd be hard for me to say why they haven't, because you know, I mean, you're not on the inside. You're not talking to those guys. I know that uh, we heard a story about Charles Howell was, you know, threatening to sue the tour a long time ago and ended up not happening. But look, I would be in favor of travel vouchers. PGA Tour gives out to every player who's in the field, paying for their travel, paying for their hotel, uh, giving them a per diem for food and stuff like that whenever they're out there. I would be in favor of more of that media money going back into the players and especially like the weeks of tournaments and stuff like that. But as far as the handing of media rights over to the players, I do think that that would fundamentally change what the tour has, how the tour exists, golf channel, golf coverage. And I I don't know that, I don't think that that would be good for the sport for the players to own the media rights. I do think it would be good for the sport for some more of that money to go back in, not even just to the top guys, because that's what Pip was, right? Pip was just the top guys. What about the guys who, you know, have some PGA Tour starts, but they haven't accrued a lot of career money, and they have to pay for their travel, pay for their hotel, pay for their food, pay for all of that. That stuff I'm definitely on board with. And so, and, you know, getting into this this next point, it'll kind of add up, kind of put everything together. So, I'm going to skip skip the middle part for a second, and we'll get back to it. But this part down here where he says, the networks would cease paying the uh, exorbitant uh, broadcast rights fees and such content was omnipresent, which means the league themselves in their current form would cease to exist. So I have a, I have a lot to, to attack on that. Here's one thing I want to say. The PJ Tour just literally last year renewed their, their TV contracts through 2030. So... He says right here, and it's just the wording is messed up <clears throat> because anyone who's ever done any type of business transaction knows when you say cease paying, you don't pay another dime after that. That's what that means. And so it's these networks can't just up and not pay their contracts because they'll get sued. See, I, I think what he's implying there is the next contracts, which you brought up last night, don't renew until 2030. So, yes, that's way off in the L- distance. Literally, Layla is going to be closer to her high school graduation than her birth at that time. <laughs> so it, it's... Yes, the networks wouldn't cease paying the rights fees. They would finish paying whatever they owed or they would renegotiate a contract because we know media contracts, they come, they go. You know, they don't always make it to the end of their lifespan. But in this instance, you would think that the tour would want it to. I do think that was poorly worded from Brandle, but I think the implication was when it's time to get a new contract, if the tour doesn't have the media rights, those contracts will look a lot different. Okay, well, here, well here, here's a question for you, Kobe. Tell me what you think about this. So... The, 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 the terms of the new contract essentially add up to be, the tour, for the tour, the revenue is about $680 million a year. So I went through and I added up, okay, well, how many tournaments throughout the year would that count for? I didn't count the majors and I don't count World Golf Championships because they're not technically PJ Tour events. So I add up in there, there's 42 regular PJ Tour events. So when you do 60, $680 million divided by 42, you get roughly a little over $16 million. There is literally one tournament this year on the PGA Tour that has a purse bigger than that. They talk about how much the purse increased last week at uh, at Pebble Beach, eight point seven million, uh, basically fifty five percent of what each week tournament these revenues should go. Where's that money going? Where? I want to know. Uh, I mean, I would assume it's. I would assume a bunch of it, honestly, is going into the pockets of some executives. And again, I'm in favor of that. More of that money going to the players. Just not in the sense of media rights. Because that that kind of just screws up coverage. It screws up Golf Channel. It screws up a lot of things. So 
moving more money from the pockets of executives to players, especially players on the lower end of the spectrum, like we said, that are fighting for tour cards and their careers and stuff like that, making Monday qualifiers more affordable, stuff like that, making it easier for guys to chase this career, stuff like that, I think, is where the, the tour needs to reinvest. That, that's, just, that's my opinion on how they can use that money to better the tour. It's, it's not necessarily, I mean, yeah, keep the pip around, but those guys have money. Those guys are multi-multi-millionaires, tens of millionaires. Let's make the game more accessible, Monday qualifier, stuff like that, so that we can actually grow the game like everybody says they want to. So that's why I just, like, even if they, if they started paying less each, after the new contracts, and even if they dropped it down less, you know what's going to have to happen? Those executives are going to have to take pay cuts. Yep. That's, that's what will happen. And, and you know what? Yeah, the tour would stop to exist if the executives weren't greedy. If they stayed greedy, the tour would dissolve. And which they already are. And it's like Phil calling him a noxious greed. Yeah, he had to pay a million dollars. If that's true. I mean, I, it's hard for me to believe that. He that is, that's so odd. I, yeah, that's odd. That's an odd detail there. And, and you know, the media rights thing, is the way I look at it, Colby, is like obviously the digital age makes it so weird, but... I would say, like, like for example, like Phil can't go off and sell his highlight from the twenty twenty five Masters when he won, you know, like or twenty twenty six, yeah, twenty twenty five major Masters or twenty twenty four Masters. Sorry, twenty twenty five is when Tiger won. So, like, you can't just go out and sell that because a lot of that is, you know, it's not your camera crew, it's not your person, not your person videoing it. I mean, if you want to send Amy Mickelson out there to film your shots, I mean, you probably could sell that, I would think. Right, right. But, yeah, that's another wrench in the tire you know, that we haven't even gotten to. And so I don't I don't know how the digital rights thing works with, with social media and all that. That That's an area along my own. I'm, I just think that uh, to, to call Phil a puppet is a major slap in the face, and this isn't going to be the last that we hear stuff like this. And it's I think it's just going to get even crazier from here. But I think it's just it's going to be interesting to see that each little each week we go forward, I think there's going to be something new kind of come out. Or like this, Shambly is going to say something that pisses me off, so we're going to have to talk about it. So right, I it's going to continue to make headlines. Yeah, and and the biggest question is like we talked we've talked about numerous times. When does the final nail in the coffin get done? I mean, there's reports coming out that Lee Westwood had to sign the uh, non disclosure agreement with. Um, you know, with the Saudi tour and all that stuff going on. So, and then you've heard rumors about how much Bryson's making, DJ with the flex on Ian Poulter saying how, you know, well, you weren't offered that much. And he's like, no, I was pretty much said I was offered way more than that. So, got a lot of things to look forward to there too, Colby. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, golf is going to be a lot different in the next year. I think it is. By, by the time February 2023 rolls around. Yeah, we'll see what it looks like. And then we'll see if it's sustainable. I mean, PGA Tour has been around forever. Other tours pop up, they leave. Obviously, there's some more money involved, stuff like that. So we'll we'll see what it looks like a year from now. And what it looks like a year from now probably won't be what it looks like five years from now. So uh, we got down quite the rabbit hole there. Let's take a break, come back on the other side. Waste Management Phoenix Open, DraftKings, One and Dones, Best Bets, all that good stuff. Stay with us here. The 73rd Hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. 
That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at mcrayroofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. Welcome back. Rolling along here on the 73rd hole. Colby Powell, Taylor Williams with you today. Sam Humphreys had uh, scheduling conflicts, couldn't make it work this morning, so he'll be back with us next week. Glad everybody's with us on this Wednesday. Follow us on Twitter at the 73rd hole, Instagram 73rd hole. Waste management, Phoenix Open, Taylor going up against the Super Bowl. In a way, we, we kind of talked about this last year. It's kind of golf Super Bowl with the crowds, the, the craziness, uh, all of that, and it's a much bigger, better field than it usually is. And I got to say, I love this tournament. I love the finish on 17 and 18. And I love the fact that it's getting a great field this year because I think it's a great event at a great golf course. And it's always exciting. And it's usually exciting with the strength of field in the 300s. And I, we haven't done the strength of field yet. Do you have it pulled up? I, I actually was about to hit it, so we can actually both guess this time. Okay. I, I you want to go first? You want me to go first? Um, I'll go first. I, I think that it's into the 500s. I'm going to say 550. I'm going to say it's a lot of really good players, one and two. I'm going to say 489. Okay. Here we go. 536. 536. Okay. So you're pretty close. Yeah, pretty close. We were circling around it. But, I mean, my point is this tournament's been really good with strength of fields 200 points back of this. This is going to be a good tournament. We're going to, we're going to have the cream rise to the crop because this is a ball striker's paradise too. I mean, I'm just going to make one little slide comment. Strength field last week was 186, and now we got 536. Funny, yeah. how, funny how you just get things set right, and you have a really good tournament. So, you know, I'm looking at it. You got Rom, Hovland. These are the top players in the world that are playing. Rom, new number three in the world, Hovland. Cantlay, JT, uh, Shoffley, Hideki, Louis, Speed, Sam Burns, Scotty Scheffler. Those are the guys all in the top 15. So, and you look at the guys that have played well here in the past. You've got, like, for example, uh, the, the guys that have Gain the most strokes per round. You got Brendan Grace, who's a really good ball striker, two point eight two. Louis, two point eight three. The only the guy who's gained the most strokes, who's played more than ten rounds here, is Hideki at two point five five. We all know he's known for his ball strike. Xander always plays well here, gaining two point three five strokes there. Rom plays well here, so it's uh, definitely definitely a fun tournament. And I, one of my favorite memories from here, Colby, is obviously the the Tiger hole or hole in one on sixteen, where he raised the roof and everyone's literally just throwing beer cans and water bottles on the tee box. And I hope we see something like that this year where I'm trying to think who would, if someone made a hole in one on 16, who like of all the players in the field, who would the crowd get most excited for? Uh, I think Spieth. I, I think Spieth still has the, the needle factor. Spieth's a good one. What about uh, HV3? I think that's a good one. HV3, yeah, I think that'd be really popular. I, uh, especially I, if he reacts like he did at, um, at Saudi. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this too. I mean, Rom, number one player in the world, Arizona State guy. I mean, everybody would lose their minds if it was Rom. Uh, Homa's a very popular guy, and he lives in the area, so maybe maybe Homa would get a big one. But I don't know. I don't think anybody's making him go crazier than Spieth. What about what about our man TG? What if he just like ramps him up, makes a hole in one, and then just all <laughs> hell breaks loose? I mean, if he were like pump up the crowd before he hit it or something, yeah, that'd be pretty sweet. That seems like something he would do. Yeah, that's uh, we honestly we don't see hole in ones there very often. No, we don't. I mean, it's not like. Because that green doesn't have 
It's not like 16 at Augusta. Like, there's no, like, massive ridge that funnels the ball toward the hole, and then you just have to hope you get lucky and it hits dead center. It's not really bridges in this green that are funneling the ball to the hole. Well, and it's it's a fairly short hole, so it's, you're, you know, you're hitting a 9-iron wedge, 8-iron at most or whatever. So, you know, the ball is just landing and sticking. It's not necessarily rolling up there. You know, it's, it's equivalent to if you, you're trying to throw a ball into a hole, are you going to make it more by tossing it or by rolling it in L- there? Let me ask you this. Would you agree with me if I were to say... 17 is the best hole on the course because I think 17 is the best hole on the course risk reward to, and, and and because of where it sits like there might be a better hole on the front nine but because of where 17 sits it it always to me I think has a huge determining factor in who wins the golf tournament I would I would definitely say it has the biggest impact on the tournament whenever you're talking about best risk reward holes I might say 15 is a little better the island par five 15 is a great hole now, infamous for Ricky Fowler being 230 out and laying up Yep, 15 is a great hole. It's not necessarily an island green because there's a little bit of area short of the green that you can hit. It's like a peninsula. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. It's more like a, kind of like a big island, you know, where it's it's like, it's, like you have the green, you have your bunkers, you have a little bit of area. It's not like, it's not like sawgrass where you're going to land the ball on the green and go in the water, unless you just hit like a piss rock at three wood. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that makes sense. I just, 17, I mean, last year, Kepka with the chip in. Um, you know, sometimes we see people left of that pond up there. We saw Ricky go over it with the driver. We saw Ollie Schneider Jans putted in the water there a few years ago because it slopes off so severely in that back corner and it gets so narrow back there. It's just it's a great golf hole. I, I think that it's it's interesting because I think seventeen is such a great risk risk reward hole, but eighteen's pretty lackluster, isn't it? Eighteen is lackluster if it's a good tee shot. Any good tee shot, and then, I mean, the hole's boring from there. It's a flip wedge into really easy, accessible green. Now, if a tee shot finds its way left off the tee, all of a sudden that's a very interesting golf hole. So it's one of those where it's like the church pew bunkers and the water up the left make it kind of a fascinating hole, but it's all because of the tee shot. That The, the entertainment value of that hole and its, its impact on determining the champion – I think depends solely on that tee shot because once you've got it in the fairway, it turns into an easy hole. Well, one of the things I don't like about it too is that it that hole greatly benefits the longer hitters because they can take it over the, the church pews on the left. They yeah. have a lot more area to clear it. And so if you're a shorter hitter, you got to play it way out right. Then in that aspect, you, if you're trying to hit it in the fairway, it's almost a 30-yard difference just can, from can the your longer, angle of attack. Can the longer hitters take it over the church pews or just over the water? Probably can't take it over. The, you're right. It's not necessarily over the church pews, but I think it's kind of at an angle. You yes, know? So, it is. Yeah. So it's like the you can't you can't clear all of them, obviously, but you can clear the right side of them. No, I, okay, you, I see what you're saying because it does do, the angle dog legs left a little bit, yeah. so you can take the like the bottom right corner off the church pews if you're one of the longer hitters. Let's put it this way: if you snap hook it, you're effed, no matter what, no matter how far yeah. you hit it. Yeah, I agree. I think 15, 16, 17 is a great stretch of golf, though. It it truly, and you know what? We've seen some great stuff on 18 because. Whenever have. you have a flip wedge in there, it's you're going to see a lot of birdies. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, we saw what Webb did chasing down Fino. It's, you know, there, obviously being in Phoenix makes it the main reason for this, but there's a reason that's the most attended tour event every single year, and it's not just for that. Right. I mean, you know, it, it just keeps growing every single year. If it was a, if it was a dog shit tournament, the field or the – as far as the strength of field would have decreased and the attendance would have decreased too. Yeah. Yeah, I went to physical therapy yesterday. I was talking to my physical therapist. He's headed down on Thursday. How about that? Yep. He's headed to his brother's 40th birthday. They're going to go down. So, uh, shout out, Sam, you and your brother. Have a good time. Enjoy Scottsdale. Well, and also, too, shout out to Waste Management for doing all their great recycling. I know, like, they don't have trash cans out there or whatever. They just have the 
recycling bins or something. Really? Yeah. So I, I, I may be off on that, but they definitely have all kinds of like technology or just do kind of yeah. fancy updated stuff to try to be better for the environment. So yeah, good for them. I, I highly condone that. Yeah, that's cool. All right, let's dive into our DraftKings lineups. I'll get us started with my cheapest option. Uh, this is a guy that, again, I, I just don't know how much longer we're going to get these prices on him. I'm sorry, that's my second most expensive. Uh, my, my cheapest... My second least expensive. I'm all turned around. My cheapest option is Brendan Steele. Brendan Steele is just a cut-making machine, good ball striker, good solid finishes at this course. So at 6500 that's way cheap value on Brendan Steele, who's not playing the best golf of his life right now, but I still think is a, a solid option to make the cut at 6500 I mean, in 40 rounds here, Colby's gained 1.6 strokes on the, per round. So, I mean, he's doing pretty good on that aspect. So, Colby, I got two guys here at, at 7200 so I'll just go ahead and read them off here. Um, first one's Charles Howell III. I mean, he's he's in 48 appearances here. He's gaining 1.09 strokes on the field. Let me get his uh, recent results at this course pulled up real fast. So he's he's actually made uh, both cut. Yeah, he's made both cuts that he's played in this year: Sony Open and American Express, 36 and 25th. And hasn't played here since 2016. But from 20, 2008 to 2016, only missed two cuts in there with a fourth and a sixth. So I really like him. And my next pick, Colby. Talk about someone who were just kind of. You know, will he ever get it back because of the whole putting thing? And he, he was able to get it figured out for a little bit. It was kind of let it slick, slip. That's Keegan Bradley. Going back to 2012 at this course, Colby, he's, he's only missed two cuts, played here every single year. And whenever you look at uh, his strokes gained on the tournament, he's gaining one second here. He's gaining uh, .68 in 36 rounds. So really likes this place. Two guys that for 7,200, less than 7,500 value that I think will make the cut. You got to let that ride, baby. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Uh, 7,000. This is the guy I was talking about before. It's Mito. I, I just don't know how long we're getting this price on Mito. It, it seems like he hasn't been able to pair the ball striking week with the putting week. But it seems like eventually he's going to do that. He, he's had some good putting weeks, some good ball striking weeks. Hasn't paired the two. I don't think we get that 7000 price uh, much longer. And then Aaron Wise, 7100 playing well. He switched to a broomstick putting method, which has helped a ton. Uh, he was last year, the year before, he had a four putt and a five putt here. And it overshadowed what was a pretty good ball striking week. So uh, Aaron Wise, I think, has a pretty good week. And 7100 is good value. Allows me to do some things at the top, uh, getting a few cheap guys. Well, you know, let's not forget, Colby, that towards the end of last year, Aaron Wise was on a serious run. I mean, of like top 10, just left and right so let's see if he can keep that going uh and i will mention mito let me down last week with a missed cut but i was still able to cash so that worked out another guy that i didn't end up having in my lineup because burger withdrew but i had him initially who ended up missing cut with a let me down but i'm letting him ride this week that's our man matt kuchar 7400 the sketchers wearing man himself you've been on kuchar lately i i i, I rode him last week i did a little bit missed the cut but finished seventh at the sony and at this tournament colby um has on has played let me get that i think that's nine times and has never missed the cut since 2009. Okay. Or, I, I love how people say never missed the cut since a certain right. point. You know, it's like I, these are just the metrics I have going back to. So he may have never missed. I'm not sure. This is my next pick, Colby. I think this is the value of the week. I truly do. 7,500. Was playing great last week. You talk about long hair, don't care. But he kind of let it slip on Sunday, but that's all right. Finished seventh here last year, too. 7,500. Andrew Putnam. I think he's yeah. a, I think he's a. If I had to make a bet this week, it. Andrew Putnam top 10 would be my best value bet of the week. I, I like that play. I really do. I think that's a good play. Uh, my next couple, I'm going up to 7,900. This is really just kind of a number situation for me. I mean, Abraham answer at 7,900. He, he feels like a good course fit here, and I'm looking at the guys above him. I mean, Connors, Henley, those guys I don't necessarily dislike, but Hoagie, I'm not running out the week after a win. I'm not running out Harris English. 
I like him more than the comparables in this same price range. I just I think his value is a little off. Seventy nine hundred. I love answer at that price, and that allows me. I've got four players, and I haven't hit the eight thousand mark yet. So that allows me to jump up for my next play, which is ten thousand four hundred. I'm not using him in the one and done because I think he's going to be the highest owned. So I've got to have him somewhere in case he he does win the tournament. That's Hideki Matsuyama at ten thousand four hundred. Back to back winner here in sixteen and seventeen, uh, and we know he's on pretty good form. Two wins in the last few months. Yeah, and like we mentioned, his uh, strokes gain at this tournament. So. It's pretty impressive. So I'm going to go up to – I'm like you, Chloe. I'm skipping the 8,000s all together, so that's probably where all the winner, the top fives will come from. But 9,900, I think Jordan Spieth finishes top five this week again. I think he's just on one of those runs that he gets on where it's like it, – he's he's got the putter rolling pretty good for the most part, but his iron play is getting – is really good. I mean, on Saturday he gained like five strokes approach. Sunday he gained like three or something like that. So – Definitely got the ball striking rolling. I think Spieth's about to get on a run, and hopefully he just doesn't fizzle out before Augusta when I plan on picking him. Then my next, my highest pick, 10,700. I wanted to get Rom in here because Rom's always a favorite, and I've used him like the last five uh, times he's played, but he's I, he hadn't won any of those times, so he'll probably win this time. But top 10 machine, Patrick Cantlay. To play terrible on Sunday, but I think he could use that as motivation to get it back. My only qualm is that he's never played here. So, you either have two things happen. Either you don't know how to play it, or you just go out and play fearless, and you birdie every hole. So, hopefully that's going to be the case. But I would be pretty surprised if Cantlay, I'm top 15 at worst, in my opinion. Cantlay's just on such a heater. Like, it just seems like every week he's so consistent. Like, you just know Sunday, back nine starts, he's got a chance. Is he going to make some pars, or is he going to make a bunch of birdies? And... I'm, I'm right there with you. He's my most expensive this week at 10700 Uh I could. I've got 400 left over. I could go up to Justin Thomas. I think I like Cantlay better. And I know a lot of people are on JT this week, but Cantlay's just playing such good golf. Uh, I really like Cantlay. Yeah, so. I, I think Cantlay's by far the second favorite in this tournament. I think he's a good good favorite over JT. I could be wrong because JT does like this place. But just Cantlay's just playing so well. It's just, and, and JT is he's a little bit of a wild card. You know, He could come out and he could shoot 59 or he could shoot 75. Yeah, with the way his putter's going yeah, right now. You're right. I mean, the putter is it's has a mind of its own, no doubt about it. So, uh, one and done picks. Um, you can go ahead and get us started. I'm since I'm basically DFL in our pool. Are you? How far uh, down are you? No, nah, I'm 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 almost in the top 100 out okay. of 120 people. So I'm getting there. It's a long season, baby. We, we flip flop from last year. Last year you were West Coast success, and I was started way outside. I'm up to 12th after my speed performance last year. So feeling last pretty year, good. That's not bad. Last year, last week. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you might. Did you have Spieth at last year in the winter? Uh, I have no idea. I mean, he only won once, so I'm assuming he didn't have. I, I, I have, very seriously doubt it. I mean, I, you mentioned Colby's going to be the highest pick. We we didn't have uh, a different viewpoints on how to do deal with the uh, most used guy in the one and done pool. So I'm running with the decky. I, I said even before he won the Sony Open, I said I was going to pick him here. So the only reason I wouldn't have picked him is if he had won at like the Farmers or something in between right. here. So if you don't win three times in a row, but the fact that he he wasn't able to do that obviously shown such great form. I'm rolling at Hideki. I think he'll be close to picked about as many times as uh, Jason Day was last week, probably about 35, 36. So if if I don't have him and he wins, I'm already DFL anyway, so I'm about to get I would get seriously lapped. So yep. I, I got to try to ride some coattails, maybe. Fair enough, fair enough. I see, and we we look at it differently. There's no right way. There's no wrong way to look at it. I try to avoid the highest picked guy because I look at that as an opportunity to, to leapfrog a bunch of people. Also, I like Hideki at some places later in the year. I really like him at Southern. We'll see if I still feel that way come into May. But I'm going to go with a guy who played really well last week. He's got great course history here. So good form, good course history. 
The long flight concerns me a little bit, but Bubba Watson has been really good at this golf course. I mean, I'm looking back here, like six top tens in his last uh, nine, ten appearances here. Finished 22nd last year, third the year before, fourth the year before. Coming off the solo second in Saudi last week. We know that Harold Varner cashed the 92-footer. That was to overtake Bubba Watson. So I'm, I'm going to run out Bubba. Hold my breath and, and hope we're staring at a top five at the end of the week. Uh, the long flight is concerning. It truly is. You never it's know. My, what, it's my only concern. And with that, it's just can you get on the right time schedule? And you know when you when you live, it's it's a little different than when you travel somewhere you don't live and trying to get adjusted there. Besides coming back, I think it's a little bit easier. So, but I mean, you're right, Colby. Bubba, 50, 56 rounds here, Colby, getting one point nine strokes average on um, per round. I mean, so he just absolutely loves this place. And I will say this about my man Hideki, it's. When, you, when you're picking a top 15 player, whatever it is, and it's not an extremely high-purse tournament where it's a strong field, you're, all, you're always dealing with a little bit of risky business there. Because if Hideki finishes fifth or sixth, I mean, you get a good amount of money, but not near as much as if he finishes fifth or sixth in a major or a player's championship. So it's definitely risky. I just have a really good feeling about it. And the number one rule of betting, Colby, you always go with your gut. You, you fight yeah. against the gut, the gut's going to fight back. Yeah, that's what I did last week. My gut was telling me Spieth. This week, my gut's so telling me second. to fade Hideki. Uh, and, and Hideki very well could win the golf tournament. If he does, I'll be regretting not taking him because you always want to have a guy for a win. But uh, I do think there's some pretty good bets down the board. I mean, Kepka's 30-1 to 1 here. He's won here twice in four starts. 30-1 to 1 just seems too long. I know he's not like totally on form, but... 30-1 to 1 on a guy who's won 50% of his career starts here. The odds just seem too long there. So 40-1 to 1 there. Uh, pardon me, 30-1 to 1 there I like. Finau at 45-1. to 1. Again, not totally on form, so I think his number's a little longer than it should be, but he nearly won here, and then Webb lapped him. We saw what happened there. Uh, so I think that there's some pretty good odds there as well. If you want to go further down the board, Scottsdale native Max Homa is 75-1. to 1, And then a guy you mentioned, Andrew Putnam, is 85-1. to 1. I will say, though, I prefer an Andrew Putnam top 10 bet over a win Absolutely. bet in a, in a field this strong. But at 90 to 1, if you just want to really throw out a long shot, Siwoo Kim is 90 to 1. And that's a guy who's not afraid to beat the best players in the world, as we saw at the players and we saw when he stared down Cantlay last year at the Amex. So if you want a really long shot, Siwoo at 90, I think, is probably about the longest I'm going. Well, yeah. And then whenever you, you got a ball striker like Siwoo, you could just go out there and make birdies left and right. And going back to Putnam, Colby, I forgot to mention this. Three tournaments this year, 27th, 14th, 6th. So he's only getting better from there. By that math, he should be about third this week. Yeah. Which would be a top five. Wouldn't be a win. I don't think he <laughs> wins, but I do think he finishes top ten. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. All right, good stuff. Everybody okay. enjoy. Yeah, go well, ahead. One go thing ahead. I want to say before we get out of here, I want to shout out my OC Eagles finished second in their first uh, tournament of the year down in Houston. So keep it rolling, boys, and uh, hopefully we'll get first next time. The only Eagles I can get behind, the OC Eagles. Hashtag fly, Eagles fly. Not the Philadelphia Eagles. Not the Philadelphia Eagles. Not at all. So, all right, everybody enjoy the Waste Management Phoenix Open. Enjoy the Super Bowl. We're back next week to break it all down. Thanks, everybody, for listening once again to the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma.